0: Aloha, this is Chapter 18, titled Wheels Within Wheels of A Very Good Novel Coronavirus by Christopher D'Amiccio. If you want to hear the earlier podcasts or read it yourself, you can find it for free at AVeryGoodNovel.com. Chapter 18, Wheels Within Wheels. Bob was looking at the daily box top reports when he got a ping marked Urgent from Postal Nerd, the head of Geekbox. Urgent. Just found out that Postmaster General Megan Brennan is on her way to see you. I have no idea what this is about, but you should be careful. She's one of the most powerful people in the country, and for some reason, she's heading your way with an ETA of about eight minutes. The message demonstrated the power of Bob's new network. Brennan hadn't told anyone outside of her secretary and her driver that she was heading to see Bob. Rather than the surprise visit she'd expected to be when she arrived, Bob was waiting for her. The black lincoln town car pulled up and bob was on the porch he gave her a friendly wave as she stepped out when she began walking towards the porch he stood up looking rather smart in his eisenhower postal jacket without the insignia of course and he stepped off the porch and walked towards her postmaster general brennan i'm so glad to finally meet you it's a real honor to have you here at my humble abode bob was trying to be friendly and had no idea how off-putting it was to her that he had just called her out she couldn't figure out how he knew who she was She still didn't know who he was. This was not how she had pictured this meeting going. She pictured it more along the lines of she swooped in, dominated the conversation, found out who this guy was, knocked him out of the picture. This idea, however, was suddenly gone. Bob put his hand over his heart and gave a small bow. She returned the gesture, which confused her as if it was was a new gesture to her. It was something Bob had started doing since the pandemic had started. As she did it, she realized that it made sense. It was a good thing. If you'd like to join me on my porch for a cup of tea, I'd love to get to know each other. Megan was completely thrown off. Without meaning to, Bob had completely unsettled her and taken the lead in a meeting that was supposed to be a surprise to him. Uh, That would be nice, Mr., uh... I'm sorry, I don't know your last name. Despite her digging, she'd been unable to come up with anything other than Bob, Robert, or Bob Current Resident. Bob had done well keeping his identity on the download from the Chicago mob. Fear had been a great motivator. Since his meeting with Gaia, however, he no longer was afraid, but still, he was cautious. That was why he was sticking with a pseudonym. It's Dobbs, he told her. Robert Dobbs. Please excuse my manners. I just feel like I already know you. You must have that effect on a lot of people. In fact, she did not. Megan Brennan had quite the opposite effect on people. Even her family often struggled to feel connected to her. She was a stranger to the world, and even those who knew her best. There was no room for vulnerability if you were going to be in charge, and she was always in charge. Except for now. For some reason, she'd lost the initiative, and she wasn't exactly sure what to do about it. "'Mr. Dobbs,' she said, trying to reassert herself. "'I'm sure you know why I'm here. "'I hope that we can work things out. "'As the head of the Postal Service, "'I've been made aware of some unsettling things, "'and you seem to be at the center of it. "'I'd like to understand what's happening, "'because, frankly, I'm not sure what your intentions are.' Bob was leading her onto the porch. "'Please, call me Bob. "'Do you mind if I call you Meg? "'I've always liked that name. "'It's strong. "'Did you ever read Little Women?' "'She had.' It had been one of her driving motivators in making sure that people knew that her name was Megan. As a girl, she'd been charmed by the idea of being named after Meg, which she was. Meg was the prettiest, the most charming, and the most perfect of the little women in Louisa Louisa May Alcott's novel. However, as a young woman, she realized that Meg was a symbol of the powerless domesticity of women, and she had vowed never to be led into the trap of becoming Meg, the domestic housewife, mother, and servant to her own role. I have, she said, again trying to assert her authority in this conversation. I prefer to be called Postmaster General. Despite a lifetime of resisting, when people tried to call her Meg, she had almost succumbed and told him he could call her Meg. She'd never felt such charisma before. The closest she'd gotten to it was with Bill Clinton. Clinton had a way of making everyone in a room agree with him, even if they didn't. She didn't feel any sort of attraction to Bob. It wasn't that kind of thing. It was more like she wanted him to give her his approval, despite having just met him. This was a dangerous man, and she needed to be on her guard. Oh, okay, Bob said cheerily. I'll be right back. I put the kettle on when I found out you were coming. Again, she was thrown completely off. How had he known she was coming? This was supposed to be a surprise drop by. She sat in one of the faded wood Adirondack chairs on the porch. It was a craftsman-style house, probably built in the 1930s, and had been split into a duplex some point in the 60s or 70s. When he came back out, he had a battered teapot that gave off an aroma of Earl Grey tea. The smell of bergamot was strong. It was her favorite tea. Bob hadn't known this, but it just happened to be his favorite too. Megan was sure that somehow he knew. She had to get the initiative back. We'll have to take our masks off to drink the tea, Bob said to her, but I'm not sick and I'm okay with that. Are Are you? Uh, yes, she said. I think we should be okay, but let's not share a cup, all right? She laughed lightly, and Bob gave an appreciative chuckle. Unmasked, in front of one another, it was time to get down to brass tacks. Mr. Dobbs, what is your interest in the post office? She was going to take control. Bob set the tea down on the small table between them and poured into two mismatched and chipped teacups before he sat down and answered. He looked directly at her. The blue of his eyes had the intensity of a laser, but also exuded a sort of warmth that caused her to relax, even though she didn't want to. To be perfectly honest, he began, I've been suspicious of the post office for years. I always felt like it was the basis for a huge sort of illuminatus conspiracy. It just has too much power, too many moving parts, and controls too many things that people aren't aware of. The USPS is the perfect shadow government. He took a sip of tea. Megan felt herself tensing up. The post office had always had its share of conspiracy nuts, but she needed to remind herself that this one had somehow taken control of a part of the actual machinery. Recently, however, Bob continued, I've had my view shifted considerably. It seems like a lot of my suspicions were true, but I was missing key information that caused me to fall to the wrong conclusions. Well, I'm glad to hear that you've seen the error in your ways, Megan said. It probably wasn't the right thing to say, but she needed it to keep him going. She had to understand what was motivating this man. You see, Bob went on, I always thought that the post office was part of some dark conspiracy to enslave humankind, to control the levers of power and to destroy democratic rule. But that was wrong. The truth, as it usually is, is much more complex. The post office is the ultimate safeguard. When the founding fathers set up the country, they weren't trying to create a democracy. They were trying to shift the power from one elite class to another. Franklin, who set up the post office, he knew this. He was the first postmaster general and he never really agreed with the slave owning founders about how they were doing things. He built the post office to act as a counterweight, and in the event of a dictatorship or a fall, the post office was designed to save everything. Bob was excited as he explained. Then he looked at her and recollected to whom he was speaking. He began to blush. Megan J. Brennan had not expected to be shocked on this visit. She had not expected to be surprised. She had expected to knock on the door, find out who the person was, and then put him in his place. Instead, she was sitting with a cup of tea, listening to a man that had no possible way of knowing tell her the deepest secrets of the United States Postal Service. Even when she saw him blush and realized that it was her chance to take control of the situation, she found herself unable to do so. In fact, she found herself wanting to ease his embarrassment. It's okay, Mr. Dobbs, she said soothingly, which was not a tone she used very often. Please keep going. I'm curious as to how you learned this information and what you propose to do with it. Bob overcame his embarrassment. He looked at her. I'm sorry. You're the postmaster general. and I'm telling you things that you obviously already know. I'm sure you know the answer to these questions already. No, she said, uncharacteristically revealing her hand. Please keep going. I want to know more. Well, I don't want to freak you out with the details, but suffice to say that in the past few months, I've learned just how important and powerful the post office really is. I don't think that would be particularly important, except for the fact that Donald Trump is actually trying to destroy it. If the USPS fails, the United States of America falls with it. And if the United States fails and falls, there's no telling what he will do with that power. You asked what I intend to do, and the answer is that truthfully, I don't know. I just know that he has to be stopped. We've been working on a couple of different ideas that might have some merit. At some point in this meeting, the new Bob had decided to trust Megan J. Brennan. The old Bob would never have revealed any of this to her. He would have seen her as a powerful piece, controlled by the U.S. government and the dark forces that hid in the shadows and made moves against all that was good. This was not the old sack of potato, potatoes Bob, however. This was Bob Dobbs, the conscientious objector general. Megan latched onto a data point. We... Who are you working with? That's what I'm trying to understand. I don't really understand where you fit into any of this. Who are you, Mr. Dobbs? Bob didn't have any intention of deceiving her, but neither did he intend to reveal who he really was. I'm nobody, Postmaster General, and as to the we, I'm talking about a bunch of my friends on the Discord server in the postbox. For just a moment, Megan heard the ramblings of a crazy person. Friends on the Discord server in the post box sounded like the ravings of a lunatic. She momentarily flash-considered that she was sitting on the porch of a madman, drinking tea and engaging in what the post office had always condemned as conspiracy theory. She had to remind herself that somehow Bob had known she was coming, and somehow he had just told her the most closely held secret of the USPS. She couldn't afford to discount him as a nutjob, but neither could she afford to trust him even though she deeply wanted to. The Discord postbox, she queried. Not quite getting it right. Oh, sorry, our message board. I, I can invite you if you want. I'd love to have you on it. I mean, if you don't mind being part of something that so many of your lower-ranking employees take part in, I can see where that might be problematic. He was right. It would be problematic. Megan was no longer entirely sure what she was doing or why. Coworkers, Bob, she said to him, using his first name for the first time. They're my coworkers, not my employees. No one owns the post office. Yes, I'd love an invite. Do you mind if I use a fake name and email, though? Because you're right, it might cause some issues if people knew I was there, not the least of which would be her relationship with the federal government. Sure, Bob told her. Let me get a pin so I can write down your details. Bob got up and went back inside. And while he was inside, Zeta arrived with the day's mail. She knew who he was because she'd studied Bob's route before coming, but she didn't introduce herself. Zeta looked at her through his mask. She'd pulled her mask back up when she saw him approaching, He'd noticed the black car and driver as he walked up. The curiosity was deep, but he would wait to find out from Bob until later. He nodded in her direction. She nodded back. She looked familiar to him, as she should have, since her picture hung in every post office in America. But the mask made it almost impossible for him to recognize her. That and the fact that the last thing he would expect was the postmaster general to be drinking tea on Bob's porch. Zeta slid the letters through the door and continued on his route. Bob came back out, still not wearing a mask. Okay, he said with pen and pad in hand. What's your email? It's fuzzybunny272 at com," she told him. Bob didn't even show a hint of a smile as he wrote it down. Like this? He held it in front of her so she could see it. Perfect, she told him. Please keep my identity between the two of us. Sure, Bob said innocently. I'll need to let my colonels know and we'll keep it on a top secret level. Need to know only. Megan couldn't show the alarm she felt when he mentioned his colonels. Until that moment in their conversation, she'd somehow convinced herself that he was just a well-meaning kook who'd stumbled upon the secrets that he didn't know, that he shouldn't have known. When he mentioned colonels and the need-to-know organization, it reminded her of why she'd come. This man was building an army, and it was largely from within her organization. "'Can we get a selfie?' she asked. "'Well, we've already broken the protocols,' he told her, "'so I don't see why not.' She stood up and pulled her phone from her pocket and leaned in for classic two-person selfies. She would have his picture run through multiple databases before the day was done. As she looked at her phone, she realized that she had received multiple text messages while her ringer and buzzer had been switched into meeting mode. As she left, she wasn't sure what she had felt. It was a range of emotions that ran from panic to happiness, but overall of it was a feeling of dread that she was losing control of more than just the meetings she had just had. Back in the car, with the meeting mode turned off, her phone began buzzing, multiple texts coming in all at once. This was May the 6th. Technically, she had offered her resignation back in October of 2019, but the Board of Governors had been unable to agree on a new Postmaster General because it was split between three Trump appointees and three Obama appointees. It was an evenly split board, and the Obama-appointed side refused to give the position to a Trump appointee, and the Trump appointees refused to allow another liberal postmaster from a blue state. The first of her texts came from Deputy Postmaster Ronald Stroman, one of the other Obama appointees. Just found out that Postmaster Inspector David Williams has resigned, which means we are officially outnumbered on the Board of Governors, it read. Williams had been the vice president of the board, He was an important ally. He was in charge of the intelligence division. Somehow they had gotten to him. It wouldn't have made any difference. This was all because she was 2,000 miles away. Even if she had responded... They're calling an emergency meeting. Stroman's text sounded like the panic he must have felt. She was feeling the panic as she read through the text, but she wasn't going to call anyone before she knew what was happening. They've done it, Stroman wrote. They've made Louis DeJoy, the new postmaster general. Vote was three to one with one absentee. They tried to make the position effective immediately, but I brought up the protocols, Senate confirmation, transition period, etc. I'd guess we have two weeks maximum to put things in order. Motherfucker, Megan said. Motherfucker. She thought she'd been angry before when she offered her resignation in October, but that was nothing compared to this. She wasn't ready for this, but thank God she'd made this trip and laid the groundwork she had. They might be able to delay things until the end of the month, but in all likelihood, that son of a bitch, Mitch McConnell, would be pushing this thing through within days instead of weeks. The rest of the texts were either gloating from the other board members, notes from her secretary, or notes from other concerned parties. The first call she made was to David Williams. He probably wouldn't be able to tell her how they had gotten to him, but he would have taken the proper precautions. He was a careful man, and they had planned for an eventuality of some kind, even if it wasn't this. He answered on the first ring with no greeting. I guess you got the news. Yes, I just heard, David. I'm calling because I want to make sure everything is okay. Are you all right? This was bullshit, and they both knew it. What happened? I just felt like it was time to stop beating myself against the wall. These past 19... Years have felt like 27, and I think I'm getting old. I just want to relax with my grandkids when Christmas comes and enjoy some eggnog. That was it. She had it. Well, I just wanted to make sure you're okay. It looks like I'll be able to enjoy myself soon, too. He snorted, but then caught himself. They both knew her job had just gotten more complex. Okay, Megan, it was nice working with you. Maybe I'll see you at one of the company parties. They both hung up. She wrote the password down, 19, eggnog, 27, parties. The post office had just been fucked, but it wouldn't go down without a fight. This is the end of chapter 18. Hope you've enjoyed it. Find the whole thing at AVeryGoodNovel.com. Aloha.